We're going to start a new series tonight. You might guess from the picture on the screen that we finally come all the way full circle because we're going to talk about the doctrine of hell. And so there's a little bit of trepidation on my part because I thought, you know, why are we going to do this? Why are we going to even go into this topic? And Tiffany, who's not here tonight, we had this really interesting discussion a few weeks back when we were sitting at Legends, as you know, if you don't know, we go out afterwards and have food together. We were sitting at Legends and I said, you know, she said, what's up on the schedule? What's coming up next? And I said, well, I think we're finally going to tackle the doctrine of hell. And she said, not in a, in a pun, but like, why the hell would we do that? <laughs> um, it was like a really good question. And I've been thinking about that question for three weeks because there's a part of me that just doesn't want to do it. So let me back up a little bit and talk about why we do anything in this group. Because before we just talk about why we're going to do this series, let's just remember why we do anything. Anyone know where this quote is from? The, the unexamined life is not worth living. Does anyone know who said this? <laughs> it wasn't me. Close. Plato. Socrates. <laughs> yeah, just, just keep going, right? It was actually Socrates who said that the unexamined life is not worth living. All right? So just a little test to see if anybody paid attention in any of those philosophy classes they took. <laughs> but here's a close quote to that. Picking up on this, Elton Trueblood said, the unexamined faith is not worth having. That was his twist on it. Anyway, they go, who the heck is Elton Trueblood? <laughs> Elton Trueblood was the chaplain at Harvard and Stanford before he went off later in life to form a Quaker seminary. And that was during the 20th century. He held some prominent positions as a chaplain. And in the midst of those institutions, like Harvard and Stanford, he really felt that bringing examined faith was one of the most important things that we can do as Christians. So I want to start with this. Contrary to popular opinion, Christians aren't supposed to just have faith. I think this group knows this well. We've tread this ground really well. But I also feel sometimes that we think, well, you know what? We can also just get busy. That would be the other alternative. Like, forget all the series that actually examine our faith. Maybe we could just get busy doing stuff, and we have that tension always in a group like this. Do we spend four or five weeks studying a subject like this and really getting into it, or should we just get busy? And I think that it's neither of those two. I'm setting up, of course, another false dichotomy, as I'm famous for doing. That it's really not just about having faith alone or getting busy alone. There's something in the middle. And this last week, when we were up at the retreat, I was reminding those of us who were there of why we even started Exodus in the first place, going back all the way to this summer will be seven years that we've been keeping this forum going, that we were looking at 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. So contrary to the just have faith and the just get busy poles of the extremes, that we're actually really commanded to know what it is we believe, why it is we believe it, so that we can give answers to people who ask about them. I will tell you that I think in this area, we always get questions. And my proposition tonight is, few of us have any answers. Tonight we're going to begin by what we actually might think on our own. Tonight is going to be very simple. I'm going to ask you to tell me what you think. I'm not going to even go into very much tonight, just to kind of hear what you think about the subject that we're going to be taking on. Before we get there, I also want to point out that Christians are also commanded to demolish those arguments that stand against the knowledge of God. And that's from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. And this is very key because 
I think there are many, many arguments that stand against the knowledge of God. We rarely think of the fact that we're actually commanded in some way to demolish those arguments with what we can. We tend to just look at that maybe solely in the sphere of spiritual warfare. We never think, yes, I'm actually going to demolish those strongholds that stand against the knowledge of God. And finally, I'll say that Jesus' specific command focused on our mind as well as our heart and our soul. So when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, it's very instructive that he also added, with all your mind. And so again, in the poles of just having faith and just getting busy, there's a part where we don't want to be. It's a difficult place. It's a place of tension. It's a place that says we have to be in a place where we actually have to form our mind. In fact, it's the forming of our mind that really is what demolishes those arguments against the knowledge of God. It's forming our mind that helps us. Paul says it's the renewing of our mind that helps in transformation. So our mind plays a very key place. I will remind that mind is not divorced from soul. It's not divorced from heart. In fact, maybe in the time that Paul is writing, the mind, the heart, and the soul all kind of dwell in the same place. We're not also creating a dichotomy between our brains and our hearts. It's probably all united in some way in his thinking. So that leads us to what the heck do we do in this group? Look at all the series that we've covered over the past few years that form our minds. I just kind of went back today and looked at all of them that sit somewhere on our website and all the different topics that we've taken on. And it seems to me we've covered a large spectrum of things. Some of these series lasted one or two weeks. Some of them lasted 12 or more. Some of them you should have gotten college credit for sitting through. <laughs> But all of them, in the end, come back to a question that I think we're going to take on tonight, which is, why study any of this? Why study any of these? And so the answer I would give to Tiffany is I think that it helps to form our mind to go to places that people care about. Do people care about this? You know, during the retreat, I had laid out a book, which I forgot to bring with me, that I had compiled of testimonies of former Christians who had left the faith and why they had left. They were answering the question, why I no longer believe in God. And they had given answers, and we compiled it. Twelve pages of small paragraphs that people had given as their reasons for leaving. And the subject we're covering tonight, which is the doctrines of hell, really were at the heart of many of them. I'm going to choose just to read one. Because there were so many of them that touched on the theme, but I thought, I'm not going to beat it into the ground. Let me just read one. Here's one of those answers as to why I left the faith. What really did it was the ideology about eternal damnation. Eventually, I had to reject the idea that a truly loving God, a God that was good and whom I could trust, would send people to hell for disbelief. God didn't seem to care if they had a rational reason for it. If they had been born into a wrong religion, if they had never had the opportunity to learn why Christianity was true. He didn't care if someone had the integrity to believe what honestly appeared true rather than given to fear and believe or try to believe in an attempt to be safe after death just in case hell was really there or it really existed. I tried to weasel these ideas about hell around too to soften them but when my best friend died who was not a believer I was forced to confront it head on. I concluded that if God really would send people to hell for disbelief even when people had really valid good reasons for disbelief, 
then he was an uncaring, petty, tyrant, blank of a god that didn't deserve to be worshipped in the first place. That's the checkout story of just one of thousands of testimonies posted on this site in response to that question. And so that's all I have tonight. Ready to pray? You guys want to do some more songs? <laughs> what I'm going to do tonight in the spirit of interactivity, normally I'll talk and you interrupt and you ask questions, but tonight I'm going to do something totally different. If you're comfortable, what I'd like to do is I'm going to ask you just where you are at right now, what do you think about hell? That's the question. What do you think about it? And I'm actually going to do something I haven't done in a while. I'm just going to sit. Just without even a single verse being cited about it, without even thinking about it, just I want to know, what do you think about the idea of hell? And my theory is that most of us probably have some reservations. And that's okay. You know, this group is all about that. So let's just start with that simple question. <laughs> you want to, like, prime the pump? You're going to, be the, you're going to dive in and get us going? Okay. I'm like, I had no idea we were doing this this week, and I just got through talking to a friend of mine about this topic, and I forgot the name of the book, but there's this book that just came out. I think it's by Rob Bell, I'm not oh, sure. Really? Okay, yeah, and he's like, you have to read it. Like, I think I totally agree with it, but it's so controversial. I haven't read it yet, and now I'm definitely going to before we start the series because I just want to compare. But personally, like, when I look at the big picture, and just because I know God, it's different when you know God than when you're not a Christian. Knowing God, knowing his love, knowing what he went through, what Christ did, the gravity of, of that kind of sacrifice, the gravity, the pervasiveness of sin and all of that, I don't have a problem. Like, I always remember God is holy, so I don't have a problem with the existence of hell. But I'm very curious as to, like, where our doctrine comes from, because since this book came out, people are saying, oh, the Bible really doesn't, like, talk about that often. It's not really, like, it only says gnashing of teeth once. It might not be a real place. Like, all these things that might just be appeasing culture and society, but at the same time, like, maybe it's true. Maybe we don't know as much as we thought we know, and so I'm open to the idea that maybe I don't understand something, or there could be different explanations, but honestly, like, I have no problem with it. Like, I think God is super holy, and so I think it, when you don't choose him, you know, I don't know what hell looks like, but... So you're not troubled by the idea of a God who tortures eternally people in a fiery place for the fact that they were born into a Hindu family in India? I honestly don't. But the problem is, it's like, try explaining that to somebody. Well, how about, how about the Hindu that's born in India that I just described? <laughs> I mean, it's explaining that. It's, it's a, this is a very difficult, like belief within our Christian doctrine to try to explain to someone like yeah believe in this believe in our God by the way he does this like it's difficult that's why I'm glad we're tackling this because I'd like to have better answers and have actual scripture and like just have sort of backup for more of our ideas because I think hell's been thrown around way too much too like there's so many like fire and brimstone and like God hates this and God hates you and you're all going like there's way too much condemnation in the church but the answer is not to go completely the other side either. But I don't know why it doesn't bother me. It just doesn't. I feel like God is ridiculously holy. And like anything compared to that, I deserve to go there. Thank God for grace, you know? All right. That's a view. Yes. I think also kind of going off what you were saying, hell has been really caricatured as this like, there's fire there. And there's like demons with pitchforks. I don't really believe that it is that literal of a picture. 
I do believe that there is a hell, I do believe it's a place, but I believe that it's separation from God, which makes sense to me because God can't be a part of sin, and once the judgment comes, then there's going to have to be a separate place. Okay. Who else wants to jump in? Morgan. Yeah, I, I mean, it's the cognitive dissidence almost more than anything else where, yes, I believe it's real. I believe people go there for certain reasons and, you know, you know that God's judgment is, is just and good. But, you know, it's, it's a hard, it, it's a very difficult concept that I'm, for the most part, like in practicality, in real life, I just don't think about it very often and I try not to almost. It's kind of fearful. Is that like a defense mechanism or something? Yeah, I think in some way, yeah. I, mean, I think I'd have to say that honestly where some of it might be a, a defense mechanism, you know. Yeah, I mean, clearly I want you to think about it, right? I mean, that's the reason we're doing this series is I want to think about it because the alternative is to think about it with somebody uh, for the first time when they're asking you about it. That's probably the wrong time to be formulating your ideas. Um, and that's been the cause of a lot of uh, damage for people. Okay, anyone else? Yeah. I would say I don't think about it much either, in the sense that I can't visualize it. I can't think of a picture of it at all. And like I'm, I'm very visual, so if I can't picture it at all, it's almost like it's not there, even though I know hell exists. And then at the same time, I have problems with the way that it's portrayed it, um, in the church, and really that hell is portrayed in some churches in some places as this horrible place, and your faith is just your get out of hell free card. And how would you like it portrayed? I mean, what do you see it more as? I see it as more separation from, from God, but at the same time, I feel like um, it's our faith that needs to be emphasized, not the, you're avoiding this place. That's really scary, though. Like, I don't know if that's a very, com you know, like, okay, we might push away from the, you know, fire and brimstone or something like that. But if we really believe that all things are held together by God, you know, and through God, um, to think of, of Absolute, like Jill had mentioned, complete separation. I mean, that's extremely scary. That's more scary than fire and brimstone, to be honest. You know, like, so I, I don't know what that, and I, I agree with Joseph, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, how can we? I would agree that it's more scary for us, but at the same time for somebody who doesn't believe, doesn't believe in God, separation from God or fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone is going to be a lot scarier for them. <laughs> okay. It seems like the person that was just expressing their view about why it was they could no longer believe in God had a problem with the idea itself and the way that God would act to even allow a place like this to exist or to even in judgment send anyone there. Um, that's where the real tension lies for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, in response to that, um, as far as like the separation from God, like, I agree with Joe, and like, I feel like it's a separation from the place, but. In response to Morgan, I would say, like, the reason, like, that is scary, but I like to think of it as, have any, has anybody seen the movie What Dreams May Come? Where she goes to hell because she commits suicide, but not because it was, like, a big sin, but because she is so blinded to it that she can't understand that. And I kind of view it more as that, as the reason that they're separated from God is because um, throughout their life, God has pursued them and pursued them and pursued them and pursued them, you know, like, but when it comes to the judgment, it's like he's done pursuing. And so they are lost in themselves. And that creates the separation from God is because they can't see outside of that to welcome God into their life. And so like when you were talking about like, do I have a problem with like 
God condemning people to hell. Yeah, but that's because I don't see it that way. I see God is pursuing them with love their entire existence and then not understanding or not recognizing or not choosing. Let's stay on that idea for just a second longer. Is anyone, anyone not by that idea that God is constantly pursuing people and that he is really giving them, in one way you're saying, many, many chances to find salvation? Anyone disagree with that? Yeah? Disagree? I mean, I probably wouldn't frame it in that way at all. And I don't if you've gotten that way. I, um, I actually don't believe in a hell, I don't believe that it exists anywhere. Um, I think hell is a theological and sociological construction. Um, and at the end of the day, I think I'm okay with some kind of purgatory in the sense that there's some kind of refinement, you know, that happens. Um, but I'm not, I'm not even sure I'd go that far. Um, I think that um, it's inconsistent with the, the, I think it's inconsistent for me with the, the, the numerous passages that talk about God's love. And uh, I, I, I understand the perspective of God's holiness and sin and on and on and on and so forth. Um, yet, I can't really understand how all that works in the context of a God that supposedly loves creation so much to have done you know these, these things um, whether that's through Jesus or, or even through creating us uh, in that uh, and even it, it becomes perplexing for me to think of being created in the image of God only to be destroyed um, and I wonder does God destroy God's self you know in, in that but in that very quality of creating us in God's image isn't something of God a little bit knocked down a little bit when God sends that creation, that thing that was created to a place for eternal punishment? I, I, don't, I don't actually think it's a, a place or an existence or anything like that. So, Anyone else? It's open to everybody. It's here. Tonight's really informal. I'm doing very little talking tonight. Yeah. I kind of feel like what contributes to like confusion about hell or I don't know, however you want to say it, it's two things. It's kind of like Jeremy's point of view where they just don't think it's consistent or we can't wrap our mind around it, so we just want to do away with it because we're like, no, this isn't like congruent with love or, you know, whatever. And I also think that the way we present Christianity as a whole makes it very difficult to understand how. Because, like, we like to present it like this happy package. Like, if you're a Christian, like, you have all these things and God's, you know, who could be against you and, like, life is great. And we just offer this package that just isn't, it's not real. It's not real life. And so people will say, well, if God's pursuing me, let's say like Heather was saying, you know, God pursues your whole life and you keep rejecting that. Um, and I think there may be some truth to that. Um, I don't know exactly how I would word it, but some people would say, well, no, my father died when I was two. My mom left. Like, my brother's a drug addict. My, like, whatever. Like, people are dying in Africa. People are dying over here. There's not, like, where did God pursue me? Like, my life was a mess. Like, I never, nothing was handed to me. Like, you're just lucky. You're blessed. Whatever, you know, they want to call it. And so for them, it's just, like, God didn't pursue them. Why would they? Why would they want that? And then on top of it, we're saying if you don't choose him, he's going to send you to hell. So it's like we're just selling this really weird package. I feel like, and then that's why Christians themselves are also confused, especially if you've lived a really sheltered, bubbled life, 
where very few things, I mean, that's awesome if very few things have ever happened to you that are bad, but it makes it even harder to understand hell. It like goes one, one with the other, like why bad things happen if there's a God. Well, how could there be a hell if there's a God? It's like, to me, they go hand in hand. Okay. Yes. The idea that hell is the ultimate act of mercy. Hell is an act of mercy, you said? Yeah, okay. Because if you have a person that has rejected Christ, if they've been presented Christ numerous times and God's pursued them to the extent of they're no longer able to receive Christ, to put them in the presence of God is more traumatic to that person than to put them away from God. So to me, it's the, it's the ultimate act of love, is you didn't receive me when I was on, when you were on earth, then you can't receive me after earth, and this is how I'm showing that I love you still, by not letting you suffer in my presence. And do you think that whatever would happen to the unjustified soul, let's say, coming into the presence of God, you think it's worse than what would happen if they were sent to eternal torment? Yeah, that's where I don't, I believe the absence of God is eternal torment itself. I think being in the presence of God for a non-believer, seeing the Shekinah glory, seeing the, that essence of creation. Let me take a straw poll. Does anybody in here believe that hell is a fiery place? Raise your hand. Just, I mean, I'm just saying, would you make room for it? Make room for it? How many people think it's more likely than not that it's a fiery place? We, don't, we can't know anything for sure, you know. How many people think that Satan is going to hell in the end? Anyone believe that? Majority of people? Just, just the reason I bring up Satan is he's a creation. I mean, Jeremy was talking about the God sending his creation to hell. But, I mean, everything is created by God, including Satan. Um, so it's just interesting, just curious as to whether you make a distinction, for example... Like, Satan, it's okay for him to go to hell, right? But it seems like, is it fiery for Satan, by the way? <laughs> like, everybody seems okay with that. It's just every, once we start talking about people, then everybody starts talking about separation and darkness and all those other things, but nobody's really comfortable with the fire. And by the way, we're going to go into that. We're going to talk about that at some length. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people who believe that it, 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 it's not a literal picture of hell that we're given. It's just the best descriptive words that could be used to describe this place of torment. But just curious as to whether people think that's the case or not. Who else? Anyone else? Jump in. Anyone else want to jump in with your view? Yes. It's a lot to talk about and go over and to have a cohesive view of all of those things. Do you feel that it would be easier just not to talk about it? Because I can't, I can't tell you the number of times that I've come across this issue as being a huge stumbling block, not for people who don't believe in God, Actually, this is a greater issue for Christians. Because I think especially people in your generation are left with a legacy of trying to deal with all of the tradition about hell, all of the views about hell, with very little teaching about hell. Monique was talking about Rob Bell's book, which I've intentionally decided not to bring into this conversation. Because there's more serious treatments of this subject, uh, this subject has been an issue for more than 2,000 years. Uh, this subject was an issue even in like the intertestamentary time there were debates going on between the Pharisees who believed in an afterlife and a hell 
and the others of the school of Hillel who didn't believe that and believed in like the termination. So even by the time of Jesus, there were all these debates about whether there was going to be a resurrection, whether there was going to be a body taking place before Jesus even got involved in the discussion about his own resurrection. There was already debates about what happens to you after you die that were going on for hundreds of years. And the rabbis were debating. So this is not a new issue. And I think the reason it's come to the fore when Rob Bell brings it up is because he's fairly prominent as an author and he was kind of assumed to be within a certain camp. A lot of people thought maybe he was somewhere in the evangelical camp. So for one of the favored sons to come out with basically taking a, an older view of maybe universal salvation, right, which is probably the closest to what he's come from what the analysis I've read, you know, kind of sends some tremors, right? Because people who go to schools like even this one you know, that's one of the things you do. You wear flip-flops, you play the guitar, and you read Rob Bell, right? That's how you know you're going to heaven. So if he comes out and says that there might not be this traditional view of hell as this eternal burning place, then people kind of get wigged out, right? That's why it's generated so much fury. It's, it, I actually think the arguments that we can look at are a lot more mature than just asking a bunch of questions. We really would like to see if we can look at what other people who've studied this have to say. And that's kind of the, the format we're going to take, just so you know. We're going to look at three or four different views on how. We're going to look at maybe like a traditional view. We're going to look at maybe some of the people who believe maybe there's some metaphorical beliefs about it. Maybe some people who believe in an annihilationist view. That maybe in how we're just completely annihilated. There is no eternal torment. We're going to look at a universalist view, which even within Christianity, there are people who just believe that Christ's sacrifice is so complete. And so important that it actually reconciles all people to him, which of course might lead us to the question, then why believe in him in the first place? Which is a valid question to ask. I think we're going to look at all those different kinds of views. But the more important thing I want to get out of this is not so we can walk away with some views. Yes, that will help form our mind. But the more important reason that we're doing this, I think, is because I really don't want this conversation to be had the first time somebody's really pressing you because I've seen too many people either completely fumble the discussion to a point where really they've just made up stuff on the spot. Or what I've seen most likely is people walk away with so many tangled doubts in their own mind that they start to really wonder what it is they do believe. I think it'd be better to work it out because it does take into consideration like God's sovereignty and salvation and our views about who God is, the very doctrine of God. And I think as all things come down to even what we believe about the scriptures. And let's see if we can focus on just even what's in the scriptures is going to give us enough room to wonder out loud. And so we might even start with just some of the passages from Scripture that even talk about hell, so that we can even just see them all to even counter simple discussions like the one I've heard already, like there's only one time it's his weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, we should know. Is that true? Is that the only time it says that? The answer is no. But, 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 but we should look at where that is, just so that we can like put up, you know, the pieces on the board and then start to formulate with some, some of those. Anyone else want to jump in? I don't want to cut off anybody else. I really like to hear people who are troubled by this or if you think, no, this is a wonderful way to go. Yeah. I, I am looking forward to this actually, this um, series. I think for me, just when you look at the characteristics of God and, and we say that God is a just God, God is good, God is all loving. Uh, I think what I want to get out of this, hopefully, what I'm hoping we get to maybe, is like um, how when we say that God is a just God, 
how that also makes him loving, maybe. Because just what I think I've heard some people say of, well, but if God is all loving, how can he send people to hell? That's something that I want to kind of have an answer for if I'm going to believe in hell is how maybe sending people to hell is actually loving. I don't know. See, even the way you say it, it's hard to even say that straight, right? Like to just, yeah, because we shy away from it, right? C.S. Lewis said if there was one doctrine in Christianity he'd jettison, this is a paraphrase, of course, it would be this doctrine. He would just jettison the idea of hell. There's one thing that would make his job as an apologist easier. It would just been getting rid of this doctrine because this caused more people trouble. And that was back in a modern time. You can imagine what people think of hell, you know, some 60 years later um, and how times have changed and views of God have changed. My cousins, they were like six and eight. They were sitting at the Thanksgiving table with my niece and nephew who are also six and eight, boy and a girl and a boy and a girl. And they began this very theological discussion we're having right now. It kind of began like this. My cousins who were raised in a little bit more of a conservative church said to them, doing their duty, they were evangelizing my niece and nephew. And, they, and their evangelism went something like this. You know if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell, right? <laughs> like straight out, just like that. And of course, my niece and nephew, coming from a more liberal denomination, said, nah, that was the response. <laughs> and my cousin said, yuh-huh, you go in the fire. <laughs> that was the answer. And they go, no, we don't. We don't go in the fire. You go, yes, you go in the fire. So you guys have to believe in Jesus so you don't go in the fire. I sometimes feel like our, our discussion of hell is not much more mature than that. Like we might laugh at that, but it really comes down to it. I want you to ask yourself, is your comfort with the doctrine of hell in any way impacted by the fact that you believe in Jesus? And you've already found him. You know, maybe we have the luxury of not thinking about it so much because we kind of feel like, well, you know, if it's there, I'm not going there anyway. At least not according to the doctrines that I believe, you know. So I'm okay with it theoretically being there because I'm already not going there. Jeremy? You said something that really caught me, and, it, and you, you were talking about universalism in the Christian tradition. And you said, you know, it, it makes it, you know, why even believe in Jesus then, right? But that really was peculiar to me. Like, is that all our belief in Jesus is? I, get, I mean, basically to me what that said is, well, my belief in Jesus is to get out of hell, right? But if that's not the case, if our belief in Jesus is not about hell, it's not about an actual Satan, it's not about any of those things, right? It's about something else. Um, then my th thought is, what are we then opened up to in a very different way? You know, if our life is supposed to be something else, or if it's about some other kind of deeper truth, which we're just afraid to really think about, make a decision on, and then go with it. So, I think there are some Christians out there who, if they found out just going on a, on a limb here. If they found out that Christ was going to reconcile all things to himself, which the scripture says that, but if they found out that what that meant was that everyone's going to be saved, let's make that assumption, there'd be a lot of Christians who'd be bummed. Not overjoyed that God would save all of creation. There'd be a lot of pointing at what they did, and I believed, and I was there, and I was right, and I went to church, and I gave, and I, 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 right? And isn't that the craziest thing about Christians right there, is that that would be our first reaction, I. As if the fact that God who created everything is going to reconcile the entire universe, if that's the interpretation, 
that our first reaction would be how unfair that was to me. It makes me think of the parable, too, of the, the son who returns after being in exile, right? And the response that the elder son has, you know, this kind of selfish, really self-centered issue. Um, you know, when you have this other person who didn't deserve it, and da, 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 or on and on and on and so forth. Yeah, that's probably one of the reasons that Jesus told it. I think that we should take instruction from that. So a lot of thinking going on that we're going to do, hopefully some answers along the way too, but I hope that you'll work out some of the things that you believe. I'll leave you with this question. The hardest thing I encounter all the time is people who talk about the circumstances that God allowed them to be in. So think about yourself as a person in this country who has the benefit maybe of knowing people who are Christians in your family or maybe going to a Christian school or growing up with friends who brought you to church or in some way being connected to a place where you had the freedom to even decide what you were going to do as opposed to the person who's living in a country where they're born into a religion, just assume that it's theirs and they'll actually be killed if they decide they want to change it. Are we on equal footing somehow? Is there something there that we have to think about when we deal with it? I mean, those are just difficult questions to ask. I'm just leaving them there so we can kind of think through them because I think sometimes it's very easy for us I mean, it's, on one hand, very hard to do this subject. On the other hand, for some of us, we have a natural escape, and I don't want you to take it, which is, yeah, yeah, it sounds terrible, but, you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm already in, so. And I think we've got to take a little bit broader view than that because I think it might kind of tell us something about us and the reason that we really have Jesus and the place that we have him in our life. Maybe he needs to move and grow bigger than he is right now in the place we have him. I'm going to leave it there. It's a good intro just to get us thinking. Next week we'll have some of our friends back and we'll start with the traditional view of uh, hell and some of the verses that back that up and then go from there, okay? Let's pray and close up. Lord, I'm thankful that you give us room to even ask the questions and I'm hopeful that your spirit in the deliberation of this room in the wrestling that takes place here will illuminate something for us. Lord, each one of us is coming at this issue from a different place. And you know those places. And Lord, I know and I pray in your sovereignty that you've brought us into this room for a reason. That in our wrestling, in our speaking to one another, in the voicing of our doubts and even our hopes, that we might come together and produce the truth that you give to us because we have come here to deliberate openly in your name and for your purpose and under your guidance. Pray this in your name. Amen.